Welcome to the August 27th edition of the Fantasyland Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shorten. Today on the podcast, we are talking some playoff surprises. We're going to be looking at some of the exits that we've seen, and we're going to be opening up the mailbag. Some playoff surprises. I wanted to touch on a couple of names. I put some in, I deleted them, I added some more, but the first, Jamal Murray. This guy is so criminally underrated. He is a star, and right now he is showing what a superstar he is. Denver have been crying out for somebody to step up and be at Jokic's level, and right now Jamal Murray's doing that. Dame Lillard has been very publicized as the big buckets, a clutch guy, put the team on the back and go to work sort of a player, and that is exactly what Jamal Murray is doing right now. Playoff stats of 31 points, 7 assists, four and a half triples per game and doing it at a 56% clip is actually better than what Dame Lillard was doing. Don't get me wrong. I love Dame. Dame is elite, but so is Jamal Murray. As I said, Denver have needed him to step up to be competitive and he's doing that right now. What I do see this as fantasy implications, if he can keep this going, then it's going to do wonders for his ADP next year. A lot of the leagues that I play in, And across ESPN last year, he was at an ADP of about 58 to early 60s. And that's because people don't see him as a tier one or tier two point guard. People see him as somebody that is going to get your high teen points, your four, four and a half assists per game, zero defensive stats, and shoot at an okay percentage. But if he can take his assists, he can take his points just to that next level up then all of a sudden he goes into the threshold of your Devin Bookers, of your Donovan Mitchells, of those people who you're looking at at the end of the second round, early third. The next player on my top three playoff surprises is Mike Conley. I feel a bit weird talking about Mike Conley so soon after my previous podcast whenever I was talking about how much of a disappointment he was, but he is really turning it on at the moment. 26.5 points, 4 assists, 5.5 triples per game, and 65% shooting. Now, the 65% shooting is not going to last. That's a number that he's not going to sustain. And as a career, he shot it just below 45%. And if he drops it down to that, then you're only looking at 15 points per game. Why are you only looking at 15 points per game? It's because of his usage. His usage rate is just nowhere near what it needs to be next to ball-dominant players like Donovan Mitchell and, to an extent, Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles. But for the time being, if you're playing in a daily fantasy lineup, put him in, let him roll, and hope that he doesn't burn you on the day that you've got him. Last and absolutely not least is the incredible play from Jeff Green. Jeff Green is somebody who has always been a fantastic waiver player. Somebody who, if you need to chip in a few threes, you grab him. If you need to chip in a couple of rebounds, you grab him. If you need 10, 11, 12 points, you grab him, especially if he's playing in those back-to-backs. But right now, he looks like somebody who would be drafted. Houston looks like the perfect fit for his skill set. He's always been a solid, versatile big. He's always been able to stretch the floor. But right now, he is playing career-best basketball. The Rockets, without a center, always going to struggle to pull down rebounds. 
But in 34 minutes, Jeff Green is pulling down 6.2. He's shooting at a 57%. And very, very surprisingly, he's getting just shy of 17 points per game. That is phenomenal. I am a massive Robert Covington fan, so it is said with a little bit of a heavy heart, given that he's pushed him out of the side. But right now, if he does this for the entire playoffs, then you're looking at getting him at a bit of a steal next year. Late round, you take a bit of a flyer on the upside. Nobody's going to go near him. And if he replicates this, then you've got yourself an absolute winner. As I said with Mike Conley, if you're playing daily fantasy, he's completely cheap. So plug him into your lineups, let him go to work, and roll in the money. All right, playoff casualties. We've had three teams eliminated. All were swept, the first of which was Philly. This is a team that has got so many offensive weapons. It's a surprise that they struggled to score over 100 points a game and that they shot at under 40% shooting. That is by far the single worst performance out of every team in the playoffs. They also struggled to move the ball around the court without Ben Simmons with the fewest assists per game and by far the worst three-point percentage across all 16 teams left, only managing eight threes per game from 30 shots. Not going to be successful doing that. Defensively, Boston had open looks all day. They they were able to really take advantage of all of their open twos, shooting at 52% inside the arc. And even Kemba Walker questioned the defense, saying that he hasn't had that much room inside in a long time. And that is very scathing. Overall, there's not too much to say because they were just a mess. They clearly missed Ben Simmons. Shake Milton wasn't as strong of a replacement as I thought he was going to be. He showed out quite a bit in the regular season when he had the opportunity, but he just couldn't turn it on for the playoffs. And it was evident that they missed Ben Simmons. They missed him on offense and they missed him on defense and they need him healthy starting next season. Unfortunately, I do think it's going to be more of the same for Philly. They've tied Tobias Harris and Al Horford up to garbage contracts over the next three years. And unless they can offload one or both of them, I just don't see them improving. Fantasy implications, I won't be touching anybody on Philly. Yes, they do play consistent minutes, but I just don't trust them. For Boston, Jason Tatum is a star. I'll be taking him everywhere. I'll also be keeping an eye on Jalen Brown's ADP as well. He's definitely somebody who has taken the next step up as well. And I think that he'll probably do it again next year. So I'll be keeping an eye on his ADP. If I can get him towards the seventh round, I would be very happy with that. Next team eliminated were Brooklyn, and I can't be as harsh on Brooklyn as I was on Philly because these guys were completely depleted coming into the playoffs, but they did give it a fair crack to their credit. Toronto were just too strong, as you would expect. They moved the ball better than any other team with the highest assists per game and the highest points per game with 30 and 126 respectively. And Brooklyn only really had one major weapon coming into the series. And as you would expect, Toronto locked him down for the most of it. Karis LeVert, he still had 20 points. He still had nine and a half assists per game, but it came off 18 shots and a horrible 37% shooting. Harris and Allen, they competed well, but they still needed a lot of luck going their way and they would have been lucky to steal a game from the defending champs. I just It was never going to happen, unfortunately. For the fantasy implications, I love Pascal Siakam. He does a bit of everything. He's solid. He plays games and you just 
can't go too wrong with having him in your lineup. The other one, I've mentioned him in the last podcast, get used to hearing his name because he's going to be shouted a lot of times, Fred Van Vliet. Love him. That's about it. For Brooklyn, next year, I won't be taking anybody. I don't trust Kyrie. I don't trust KD, and they'll take up all the usage. So, Karis LeVert will be stuck to a reserve role, as will Spencer Dinwiddie. Unless Kyrie goes down, Spencer Dinwiddie will do more of what he did this year, but can't take the risk on that next year. Finally, the Indiana Pacers. I will say that I was surprised that this series didn't go a few games longer. I did see it probably going the stretch. Both teams have solid shooters. Both teams have interior and perimeter defenders, and I thought that that would stack up pretty well on paper. The one thing from the eye test, watching each game, Miami just looked grittier. They looked more aggressive. They hustled on defense, and they took it strong to the ring. In turn, Indiana gave away the third most fouls, and Miami had the most free throws of any other team. This worked out to be just shy of nine points per game, and their total difference in points was 11. Without the fouls, this game would have come down to two points. It would have come down to a buzzer beater, and it would have turned into an epic series. But unfortunately, Indiana just could not stop Miami getting to the line. Regarding fantasy implications, there's quite a bit for both of these sides. I love Miles Turner and I loved Malcolm Brogdon. Both played really well this series, but it's all without their all-star Sabonis. With Sabonis back in the side, Turner reverts into playing a pure stretch five role and he doesn't get the looks inside or the rebounds inside that he needs, therefore affecting his value. Brogdon's touches have also been shared with Sabonis. They use Sabonis quite a bit at the top of the key to direct traffic which is why Sabonis' assists were so high. But again, going to have an effect on Brogdon's usage. So I think that moves them both down around, maybe moves Turner back two rounds um, to about the fifth round. Miami, on the other hand, they are absolutely full of goodies. I'll mention it on a few pods, but Bam Adebayo, he's a second rounder. He's a star. I love him. I'm going to take him everywhere that I can. And as a late-round flyer, I took him this year, but it didn't work out as well. But I will be doing it again next year. Is Tyler Hero. I don't see them running with Goran Dragic forever. But even if they do, Tyler Hero has already shown that he's an improved defender and he's really growing into that primary scorer and that primary ball handler in the second unit. All right, time to open up the mailbag. So we've had a few questions this week from some fantasy basketball beginners. So I'll look to group those together and then touch on a few other questions in later pods. The first question that we've got is, this is my first season doing fantasy basketball. What tips have you got? The first tip I've got for anybody starting out in fantasy is knowing your league. I play in a head-to-head category league almost exclusively. So that is where the majority of my tips come from. So You need to know your league rules, you need to know the categories that you play, and you need to know the tiebreakers. If you get your draft spot early, great, you can do research, but that might not happen until the night of the draft. If you're playing in a standard eight-category league, then the rankings are going to differ, sometimes substantially, from a nine-category league. For example, Trey Young is rated about six in an eight-category league, but rated at 13 in a nine-category league. This is because he has... Quite high turnovers. High turnovers can lose your category. And if you're not prepared for that, then it can lose your week. 
So know your league. The second question is what mistakes do you see every year that I should avoid? So there are two major mistakes that I see people making every year. And if someone in your league does one or two of these, then fantastic means less competition for you. The first mistake I see is taking injury-prone players early. Now, this is something I feel extremely passionate about. There is always value to be had in the middle to late rounds on taking a flyer on an injury-prone player, hoping that it turns out. But the early rounds are the foundation of your team. If one or more of your players has an injury history, then you're going to be in for a stressful year. Does it mean that they're going to get injured? No. Does it mean if they take a niggle that they're going to sit for a day, they roll their ankle, they're going to sit for two weeks? They might do that. The same can be said about players who are managed for health. There are a number of players who rest their bodies, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, and this can result in a four-game week becoming a three-game week or a three-game week turning into a two. You might not know right now how much that hurts, but if you're coming into the final day, you need 100 points to catch up and you've got Kawhi Leonard who's sitting and managing his health on the end of a back-to-back, that could be 25, 30 points that you're not going to have for the day. So again, make sure you pick solid, reliable players early. The second mistake I see is pairing the wrong players. When playing in a head-to-head category league, you don't need to win every category to win your matchup. So keep this in mind. Both eight and nine category leagues, you only need to win five categories. So there are players who completely tank certain stats. And if you pick them, you're going to have to punt that if you want to keep your other players effective. So let me break this down a little bit more. Andre Drummond, he's a fantastic player. He's one who dominates in field goal percentage. He dominates in rebounding and he's fantastic at steals. He's also very strong in blocks and points. So that's five categories right there. He doesn't contribute in threes. He doesn't contribute in assists, which is fine. You don't need it all. But what he does do is he tanks free throw. He shoots at 58% on five shots a game. By taking him, you should know that you're going to lose free throw every single week. Again, you don't need to win every category. So this is where I'd be pairing him with somebody like a Ben Simmons, a Rudy Gobert, a Zion Williamson, players who have high value without needing free throws. If you were to pair Drummond with somebody like Booker, it would be silly. Booker has key strengths of points, assists, threes, free throw, and this year his field goal was really good. But again, his free throw is one of the best in the game. He goes at 92% off seven shots, and that's the reason why you're taking Booker. If you're pairing him with somebody like Drummond, that drops his 92% to 80. And yes, it brings Drummond as a pair. It brings their free throw shooting to 80, which is not detrimental, but it takes away from one of Booker's most important statistics. If you're taking Drummond, you pair him with somebody with a poor free throw shot. The same is to be said about taking somebody like a Trey Young. Trey Young throws up a lot of shots and he doesn't make them all. He doesn't have a great field goal percentage. So pairing him with somebody like Drummond takes away Drummond's field goal. You're wanting to get players who are going to complement the stats that you're chasing. If you're chasing free throw, threes, assists, steals, and points, get players who complement that. Don't detract away from that. So in summaries, know the categories that you want to target, pick healthy players that complement each other, and you'll have a very successful draft. And the final question we've got for the mailbag is, what top three players would you avoid in the early rounds? 
So it's probably a little bit too early to tell because there will be trades in the offseason that will throw some of these out the window. But as it stands, there are a few players that I don't want where they're getting drafted. I would take them, but they're not going to slide. First one is LeBron James. I love LeBron. I am a LeBron is the GOAT believer. But starting next season, LeBron's going to be 36 years old. And although he is consistently leading his team in minutes, surely that is going to move away and pave a way to him being rested and him being managed. I thought that was going to be this year. It's coming. It has to be next year. He's at the point of his career where the only thing that matters is postseason and winning championships. So I'm going to stay away from LeBron, who is probably going to be drafted between 10 and 15. Healthy, that is absolutely where he should be, but I think that he's going to miss time. The second player is Kevin Durant. I've had Kevin Durant on my team many, many times over the years. He is a star, but he's coming off an Achilles injury, an injury that has plagued big man in the NBA for years. And although he's been relatively durable throughout his career, I'm not sold on him being at peak KD to start the year. Someone who I'll probably avoid unless I can take him in the late second round, which probably won't happen, which is why KD is probably not going to be on my team next year. And finally, my whipping boy for not taking, for avoiding at all costs is Joel Embiid. He's somebody that I have never owned. He's somebody that I will never own. He always seems to get taken in the early to mid round, which is far too rich for my blood. Sure, he is talented. He can stretch the floor. He can do a bit of everything. But the one thing he can't do is stay on the court. Considering he's never played more than 64 games in a season, I have not been able to justify his ADP at about the 12 to 15 mark. On my draft board, I've always got him as a mid-20s player. If he drops down to 25, I will take all of Embiid that I can because I will be able to cover him with two picks before that. But if he's going to be the first player on my draft board, if he's going to be somebody that I'm targeting early on, I need that person there every single game. And Embiid is not going to give that to you. Alrighty, guys, that's all I have for you. I'll be opening up the mailbag in a couple of weeks, so send through any questions to fantasylandbasketball at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. (laughs) 